So tonight we're going to learn three basic ideas. We want to try to understand a Jewish definition of freedom. We are going to try to understand how we can understand Pesach and really all of the holidays on five different levels. And a third thing is I want to learn about the seventh day of Pesach. Because the seventh day of Pesach, everyone puts so much energy into the first day of Pesach, don't realize how important the seventh day of Pesach is as well. Okay, so that's for the, the first class tonight. The second class will be focusing on the Haggadah itself and presenting a, a very fascinating a timeline. We're going to go through all of world history within the Haggadah itself. So let's start with freedom. Does anyone remember Janis Joplin's definition of freedom in a very famous song of hers? Which song? Um, Bobby McGee. Me and Bobby, I don't. That's right. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. Yes. Well, maybe this points out the uh, generation differences here at the table. (laughs) In my generation, uh, that seemed to ring true for a lot of people. But when you really think about it, it's a very tragic definition of freedom. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. That's, in a sense, like a kind of a desperate, empty, futile definition of freedom. And what we can say for Janis Joplin, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison they all lived by their credo and they died by their credo but we can see that this is like I said this is a very sad commentary on what freedom is now that's not the way we were we were raised in a western secular environment in many instances freedom means the ability to do what I want. The ability to do what I want. Which sounds pretty reasonable. Everyone wants to be free to make their own rules, to call the shots. And in many, many instances, freedom has been connected very much with uh, monetary prowess. In other words, people have come to think that money will buy me the ability to do what I want to do and that will lead me to freedom and freedom will lead lead me to happiness. But we also know that that's not exactly true. In fact, most people in the pursuit of trying to amass that kind of money which will give them the freedom to do what they want end up being real slaves to their profession or their job or their 
banking all of their security on this financial consideration and in the end they are not very free at all They're not very free at all it reminds me, it just pops into my head this story it's something like this, you might have heard it that two people are out on a, a boat fishing and it takes a long time to catch a fish so they're, so they're talking and one says you know I, I really wish I could have more of a, of a firm profession so the other one says and what would you do with that? Well, I, I go to school for four years, I get a degree. He said, and, and what would you do with that? He said, with that, I get a job. Okay, then what, what are you going to do? Well, then I probably have to like, work for 10 years to build up my credentials and have to buy a house and, and, and have a car and, and have securities and and then what would you do? Well then I would do this and that's okay, it goes on and on. And then it gets, you know, down the road and then he's very rich at this point, like very rich. And what would you do? So he said then I could take as many vacations as I want. So he says, and what would you do on your vacations? So he said, so he said, I'd sit in a boat and I'd fish. So in other words, he just went like full circle, and he's like back where he is, and yet he maybe pursued or invested twenty or thirty or forty years to get back to his concept of freedom sit in a boat and fish that's my concept of freedom and he didn't realize he had it right there in a Jewish framework so what is freedom it's very paradoxical it's extremely paradoxical the Jewish concept of freedom and we learn it from a, a verse in the Torah where it's talking about the two uh, tablets that Moshe came down the mountain with and it says that the the words were harut ala luchot they were engraved harut means engraved in the stone in the tablets so the sages said don't read it harut read it cherut cherut means freedom so read it freedom in parentheses engraved in the tablets so what were on the tablets? commandments how many commandments do we have? 613 how many do we have from the rabbis? more than you can count <laughs> more than you can count so you would ask wait a minute I don't understand freedom comes from having to fulfill all of these commandments 
that we're told basically what to do from the time we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night there's commandments for everything everything you put in your mouth yeah, yeah, is a commandment for even the way you tie your shoes there's a way to tie your shoes really? yeah <laughs> they didn't teach you that in the honors program see <laughs> so you get your money back <laughs> yeah we're told that you should put your right shoe on first and then your left shoe and then tie the left shoe and then tie the right shoe it's actually very Kabbalistic it has to do with what right means Kabbalistically and what left means Kabbalistic right usually means loving kindness and giving and kind of like flowing and the left side represents judgment and um, severity so we always put our right shoe on first in fact we always do everything with our right first and then our left but then we tie the left one in order to bind it in and then we tie the right so we have what I would call a a bit of a paradox of, of our concept of freedom by accepting that there is a God who commands us that already is politically incorrect that there's someone to tell me what to do I mean that's not freedom and yet our concept of freedom is that we accept that there's one giving the commands and I'm adding because these are the, the, the portions of the Torah leading up to Pesach right now it's all about what's called the, the service in the temple serving so you say also like what kind of concept of freedom is this? It's serving because we're told Moses his greatest compliment is God called him an Evid Hashem he called him Moshe my servant that's considered like the greatest compliment or the greatest spiritual attainment one can reach is to be considered a servant of God so we see that our concept of, of freedom comes through fulfilling the Torah and mitzvot and for serving not just God the Jewish people the world at large our community that's why there's such emphasis in this concept called tikkun olam rectifying the world fixing the world in other words we didn't come here to get everything that we could get we came here to make the world a better place and as we do that to elevate and purify our souls but they can't, one can't be divided from the other one cannot isolate themselves and so to speak work on themselves 
and think one is going to spiritually elevate them themselves and forget about the world around them. So then we ask, so why is this so? Why is this the Jewish concept of freedom? And we can answer it fairly simply, fairly simply. When we talk about this idea of freedom being, I can do what I want, from a Torah perspective, without working to spiritually elevate oneself, one is ruled by their body and their animal nature. And so in most cases, when people say, I want to be free to do what I want to do, it usually means to pursue those things that lead to instant gratification, that don't take a lot of hard work, that make me feel good, but that's all what we call being ruled by our animal nature. The animal nature is not, is not bad in itself. We don't make the distinction that the animal nature is bad, but we do recognize that without a lot of uh, work on ourselves, that's what we're going to be ruled by. We're ruled by our, our stomach, we're ruled by different sexual hormones, we're ruled by our emotions, ruled by our hormones that is not what we call freedom freedom comes when we can not so much overcome the body but, but direct the body and the animal nature from a higher perspective that's what we call freedom and we're told how, so how do we achieve this? We're told through Torah and Mitzvot. Through learning and fulfilling the Torah. And a lot of fulfilling the Torah has to do with interacting with the world around us and contributing and refining and elevating and connecting with the world and other people to make it a better place. The reason we're talking about this is because Pesach is called the holiday of freedom. This is the theme, as, as, as we're going to see immediately. I mentioned before that we're going to now look at five different levels of understanding the holidays. And this is what, what we're going to talk about about Pesach applies to all the other holidays as well. So the first level is the historic le- level or meaning of the holiday. Pesach has a whole story with it. It has our, the inception of the Jewish people. It is our, our history. Sukkot is connected to our wandering in the desert. It has a historical uh, source to it. Shavuos is 
the receiving of the Torah. Hanukkah, what happened with the Greeks? Purim, what happened with the Persians? So all of these holidays are connected to historical uh, roots of, of, of who we are as a people. Yeah. How do you explain Yom Kippur then? So technically, technically, the three holidays that we have are Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, of course, are holidays, but they they stand out on their own. Now we can also say because Rosh Hashanah is connected to the creation of the world. So there is, a, there is a historical, even though we might not think of that, but it is connected to the creation of the world and especially the creation of man. Even more than the creation of the world, Rosh Hashanah has to do with the creation of man. And Yom Kippur also has a historical connection because the way it's written in the Torah it's connected to different events that happen. For example, does anyone know from the time that we left Egypt what happened on the first Yom Kippur? We left Egypt in this month, Nisan. Six months later, what happened on that first Yom Kippur? The tablets were destroyed? The tablets were not destroyed, but what happened with the tablets on Yom Kippur? Moshe came down from the mountain with the second tablets on Yom Kippur. That was the sign of atonement. Because what did Moshe do with the first tablets? He destroyed them. So when he came down with the second tablets, it represented forgiveness, pardon, atonement. And when did he come down? And Yom Kippur. So it also has a historical aspect. To really understand Yom Kippur, we need that, that piece of information to really understand the energy of Yom Kippur. So that's the first level. So I already mentioned that when we sit at Seder night, it's such a strong feeling of connecting to our history. Such a strong feeling. When we sit in our sukkah and we realize that we sat in similar types of structures as we wandered in the desert. So to connect to that historical aspect is very, very important. But that's just one level. For many people, that's the whole thing. Pesach night, we tell the story, and it's our history, and that's it. That's Pesach. But there's, there's more levels to get to. So the second level is that all of the holidays have an agricultural and a cycle of the year connection. 
Pesach is very connected to spring. In fact, the Torah says that we have to celebrate Pesach in the spring because that's when we came out of Egypt. And it actually, I believe it says it twice. So that you shall do Pesach in the spring because that's when you came out of Egypt. So it's not so apparent what, it, what is the Torah telling us. But very, very quickly, what kind of calendar do we have? A lunar calendar. Now, if we had a purely lunar calendar, would Pesach come out in the spring every year? No, it would be like Ramadan. Right, it would not come out. Because the lunar year is approximately 11 days shorter than the solar year. Therefore, every three years approximately, the month would change. And all of a sudden you'd be doing Pesach in December, in November, in October. The Torah says you have to do Pesach in the spring. Because the energy of Pesach is intrinsically connected with the energy of spring. The feeling of of freedom in the air, spring fever, spring cleaning, Right, everyone's just ready to burst out, right, after winter. Especially if you live in what we'll call the winter states, where you go through uh, a, fall, a real fall and a real winter. When it comes to spring, you are ready for spring. You're like, like itching for spring. So therefore... Pesach is very connected with spring. Tishabav, it's all about the burning of the Beit HaMikdash. What month does Tishabav come out in? Usually, one or two months. August. August or July. Yeah, July or August. In Israel, what's the weather like in July or August? Burning. Right? It's not a coincidence. Rosh Hashanah comes right near the fall equinox. And what is the sign, the astrological sign that Rosh Hashanah is connected to is, is Libra. What's the sign of Libra? Scales. Why? Because at fall time, right, the scales are like, but they start to change. And that's why the sages gave us the image of, of the scales for the judgment of Rosh Hashanah. Because everything is being judged. Everything is being judged. Hanukkah. So the light comes at the darkest time of the year. Hanukkah is the, the longest nights and the shortest days. We could get into this much, much, I'm doing this very, very very quickly but just so we understand that every holiday has a connection either to the agriculture circus for sure is the harvest festival and that to this day that is the harvest festival that they're talking about is that's what's happening and Shavuos is also a harvest festival but that's of the grains and that's exactly when the wheat is harvested in Israel that's Shavuos 
And actually Sukkot is more called the ingathering because that's when all the produce would come into the, into the threshing floor, into, into storage. So each holiday is very connected to the season it's in and to the agricultural reality. Which holiday it. is connected to the planting season? Planting? Well, there's a number of different ones. Rosh Hashanah is is when you plant grains. It's a new year, plant new grains. And the Pesach is also, by the way, a harvest. It's a harvest of the barley. Yeah, so we count, start counting the Omer from the time that we actually cut the first of the the barley. So there's not one per se with planting because in Israel you can plant vegetables all year round and you can plant fruit trees all year round. So there's not not one specifically for planting, but Pesach is definitely the new year of growth. That's for sure. Because if you go outside and you look all the trees now have their new leaves, the new blossoms, and the new fruits. I looked the other day, and I, I just planted a, a peach tree last summer. Little peaches, right? How big? So it's not so much planting, but Pesach is definitely the the new the the new fruits. Uh, everything is coming to blossom now. Okay, a third level. The third level is, I'll call it a theme. Each holiday has a theme. These themes are applicable all year round. Nonetheless, each holiday we concentrate on a certain theme. So what's the theme of Pesach? Or a, a few, there's a few themes. Freedom. Freedom. <laughs> what? Redemption. 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 New energy. New energy. There's also a very, I mean, this, this, the uh, historic level is the level in itself, but also a theme of uh, Pesach, like, as if you came, that you came out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a theme in of itself. Right, the whole theme of you—you you mentioned redemption, but exile and redemption also. See the, both sides of the of the, of the coin. Sukkot. What's the, what are the, some of the themes of Sukkot? Happiness, joy. The Torah tells us three times to be joyful on Sukkot. Ushpizing. So, in, in which way? It's the only chag for holiday. That's, I mean, some says in all of them, but I mean, it's a mitzvah, even more of a mitzvah as our sukkot. Right. We we invite all of our, in a sense, ancestors to come into the into the sukkah. So, spiritually, we call that's called the, like that's also a harvest. Right. We're harvesting. Our, our lineage. Hanukkah. 
miracles. What else? Lights. Lights. And lights are connected to the soul. So, you understand the idea here. So, each holiday, along with the historical and the agricultural, there's, there's certain themes. Pesach has a lot to do with faith. The faith that we went out into the desert. Shavuos has a lot to do with the mission of the Jewish people. Receiving the Torah puts upon us a, a mission, a national destiny. It's also called the wedding between God and the Jewish people. So really, if we look very carefully, we had more time, we could come up with maybe five to six themes for each holiday. And we concentrate on these. We, we really try to grasp them differently each year because wherever I was holding last year, it's not where I'm holding this year. So whatever my concept of freedom was last year, it better be different this year or I haven't grown at all. I have the same concepts as I had last year. So we, we go through these same themes, but each year, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. The next level, we'll call it the emotional and psychological. And this is getting very close to what we, the first thing that we said, how we have to take each holiday, each mitzvah, each story in the Torah, and make it personally relevant. In other words, along with the, the history and the time of the year and the, and the theme, all of that is, is, is like intellectual. But there's also emotional and psychological changes that the holidays are supposed to help us uh, grow by. So we'll talk about Pesach. And we already talked about this idea of, of taking the theme of freedom, but then applying it in a very personal way, because each person emotionally has certain straitjackets. Remember, the word Egypt in Hebrew comes from the word narrow place. That's what Egypt means. Egypt means a narrow place. So we all have our emotional narrow places and our psychological phobias that keep us very, very straightjacked. That's what we need to concentrate on Pesach. But each holiday has it. Each holiday, let's say Hanukkah, each person has what we'll call dark corners in their psyche. Certain memories or certain traumas or certain failings that cast a shadow 
over almost everything that a person does. So Hanukkah is all about light and letting that light into those places. This is, that's an example. That's an example. Shavuos. Shavuos is all about responsibility. Receiving the Torah is an enormous responsibility. So we can relate to that responsibility from a, from a national point of view. But then there's also the personal point of view. Also the personal point of view. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, of course, is laced with emotional and psychological work of preparing for, for a new year. Again, we're, we're just like surfing, surfing the, the surfing here, but it, everyone's getting the idea. Okay, and then the last one we can call the soul connection or the spiritual mystical connection. And this is where we experience the holiday deep in the soul. Not just in the emotions and the, and, and the psyche or in the intellect but from a very what's called panimi, very inward place. Very inward place. So for example, you mentioned joy on, on Sukkot. So there's a type of joy that will connect to the level we just learned, the emotional and psychological. Where, let's say you go to a wedding. And the, many times the difference between whether you're open to, to being joyous is if you can dance or not. Right, everyone's right dancing, and if if you're just standing on the side, it's like okay, maybe you're happy, but if you're really happy, right, you would get out there and dance. So in other words, there's there's what we'll call an outside manifestation of joy, but then there's a more inward manifestation of joy that is very very quiet inward private type of joy that let's say one sitting in their in their sukkah so that's what you say on sukkahs that's why there are all of these um, gatherings because they, they used to have gatherings in the temple every night of sukkahs all night long the best all-night parties ever were in the circus. In fact, it says anyone who didn't experience the joy of these gatherings has never experienced real joy. So that's why during circus you have all this kind of outside type of joy. But then there's a type of joy you're just sitting in your circus by yourself and you're, you're just in bliss in being in the presence of God. 
it's a, so it's a, it's a much more inward type of of joy. And Pesach, there is that experience at the Seder when you're going through all the different steps and you're experiencing the historical, the agricultural, the theme, the emotional, the psychological. And then we're told that when it's time to eat the matzah, according to Hasidic thought, you, you, don't, you don't talk. There's around 10 minutes. Ten, some people try to eat it within three minutes. Most people it's within nine minutes. But... You're not supposed to talk? You know, you're just supposed to be eating matzah. And by chassidus, it's, it's, it's like meditating. It's like one of the, the deepest meditations of the year. Why? Because for a whole month, for a whole month, you're... Um, cleaning for Pesach preparing for Pesach buying for Pesach you're at the Seder you're, you're cleaning, especially you're getting rid of all the hummus and now you finally come to eat the matzah right? after a whole month right? some people if you mention Pesach at Hanukkah time are already like, like Pesach's coming right? Pesach's coming so when you finally get to eat the matzah, after that tremendous build-up, there, it, it, it's, like, it's like a meditation. Because in the Zohar, the matzah is called the bread of faith. And we're told that while you're eating that, that first matzah of Pesach, it's a time of deep and intense meditation on our connection with God and the eating of the matzah represents the concept of integration because there's one thing to think about something but what does eating represent? you take something from outside of you and you put it in inside you and it becomes part of your life force because we could think why don't we just sit at the Seder and tell the story why do we have to eat the matzah we could tell about the matzah but the idea is that it should be so integrated that it becomes a part of us <clears throat> so this is that fifth level of the holiday that we're talking about where it becomes like a pure soul experience after we know the historical context after we are in tune with the feeling of the season that we're in after we've contemplated the theme and the, the meaning of the holiday and then we try to personalize it that it should affect our emotions and our, our psyche then the, the, the last level is it should touch our, our very souls it should touch our very souls. That if, if we didn't know how to get out of our own Egypt before the Seder, then the Seder itself should do it for us. It should, like for real, it should do it. As I said, I, I would just talk quickly about the seventh day 
of Pesach because people put such emphasis on the first day of Pesach I'll just touch on a few things very quickly and I'll, I'll, I'll stop when it's time for, for the Chavrutas so the seventh day of Pesach is a full holiday so obviously there, there's a reason for it what happens on the seventh day of Pesach historically we crossed the, the sea on the seventh day of Pesach so this has tremendous symbolic meaning here I'll just touch on just two of them very very quickly one is we left Egypt or at least we thought we did and all of a sudden we find ourselves with Paro coming after us and surrounded by the sea so we're told that symbolically this applies to each and every person in a very real way how many times have we made changes in our life because we knew it was time to make a change sometimes a very radical change that took us weeks or months or years to come to that conclusion and we make the change and a week later we're starting to fall back already right? or, or, we, or we start to question our decision or question our motives so we're told the seventh day of Pesach we already we left already but as we've been learning this whole time coming to freedom is a process it does not happen with the snap of the fingers so the crossing of the Red Sea and especially Paro coming after us represents for many people reality of how we make changes in, in spurts and then we fall a little bit then we get up again and then we fall and then finally we make it to the other side of the sea this is what Rabbi Nachman called doing tshuva on your tshuva right? repenting on your repentance so how does that work let's say I did something and on Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur I, I changed my ways I davened a thousand prayers and I moved on when you get to next Rosh Hashanah the question is do I have to do tshuva for that again and the answer yes because the way you did tshuva last year is not how you could do it this year if you've really grown spiritually you could do it so much better now so some people might hear that well that sounds a little bit depressing like I, in other words, I can never get free that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about really getting closer and closer to, to who we really are and to Hashem by like cleaning house that's not clean house last year for Pesach what do I have to clean it this year for? but as soon as you lift up the rug it's like oh my gosh <laughs> now I know what I have now I have to clean again for Pesach right? so it's called doing tshuva on your tshuva one last idea is you know starting the second day of Pesach we already start counting the Omer 
every day we're, we're counting and along with the Omer we connect um, different spherot does anyone know can anyone figure out what are the spherot on the seventh day of Pesach first of all which day of the Omer is the seventh day of Pesach no the sixth so what would the sixth day be can anyone figure it out um, Yisod Yisod Sheba Chesed Yisod Sheba Chesed means foundation Chesed means loving kindness so I'll explain this in just two minutes it's a beautiful idea when we got to the sea the Midrash says there were many different opinions about what to do some people wanted to fight the Egyptians Others wanted to give up and go back to Egypt. Others were willing just to go into the sea and drown if that's what they had to do. So we can understand this in the following way. When an individual is trying to free themselves of whatever. So we also have many different strategies we can adopt of how to, how to do that so crossing the sea represents if we take let's say our goals in life to get to our goals you have to cross the sea there is no such thing as being handed your, your, your life's mission on a golden platter you have to work for it and that is represented by crossing the sea so some people when they look deeply in themselves and they have a, a feeling of who they are and what they can accomplish so some people start walking into the sea and the water is so cold they turn around and they go back in other words I could be that but I'm not willing to, to make those kind of efforts other people will just decide to go back to Egypt right? in other words a person feels like I really could be this but I'll, I'll never do it so I'll just give up now and other people are willing to go into the sea like Nachshon until it splits so this is what the seventh day of Pesach represents for us because remember this is a personal flight to freedom and so therefore what is the foundation of loving kindness when God shows a person who they are and what they can accomplish if they really work at it then that person will make that the foundation of their life and there's no greater loving kindness on the part of God than to reveal to a person their, their potential so crossing the sea represents the foundation of loving kindness that when we can take our potential and be willing to cross the sea for it 
then that becomes the very foundation of our lives and like I said that's the greatest loving kindness that God could show us